0: Hello, and welcome to the Diversity Beyond the Checkbox podcast. I'm your host, Donald Thompson, Diversity and Inclusion Executive and CEO of Walk West in Raleigh, North Carolina. On this podcast, we share insights and perspectives from global leaders in diversity and share journeys of amazing professionals who've overcome the odds to reach their goals. We'll hear what diversity means, why businesses should prioritize diversity and inclusion initiatives, and why DI is not only the right thing to do, but an imperative for growth for you and your company. In essence, why diversity is beyond the checkbox. Before we get started, remember to sign up for updates on future podcasts and all of our upcoming diversity initiatives, including the course, Diversity Beyond the Checkbox. Sign up at thediversitymovement.com. On the show today, we have Carlos Alva, technology consultant at Deloitte. He'll be talking about his diversity journey and what he's seen in his short but impressive career. Why he started a group They're Peruvians in tech, the biggest challenges he's faced, and why employees should be focused on diversity. Carlos busted through stereotypes throughout high school, finishing the top 10 in his class, but instead of college, he needed to focus on family. So he delayed that traditional college approach and worked full-time to support a family in need, a family that needed him to create headship in the organization before he really had the
1: opportunity to make his personal goals at the forefront had options to go to college, but uh, decided to take a pause on my education and focus on my family. Just really be there for, uh, for my mom and my brother, helping me embrace him. And the point that point, I pivoted into making my part-time job my first career, which was to pursue uh, ownership, entrepreneurship through Chick-fil-A at that point. Um, and I grew a lot. I learned a lot about people management. I learned, learned about adversity and changing things. Let's dig into that just for a bit. Like, tell me about that process. Tell me how
0: you were able to do that at such a young age, right? By 20.
1: Yeah, i happy to share. So, uh, like, you're right. It is a process. It was a process of being consistent of what I wanted, my long term goal, and a process of keeping or acting above my age, I guess, having that business mindset, always being the ear of the owner to make sure that I saw things the way he saw it. Because if I can connect with him at that level, And understand what keeps him asleep at night, then that makes me a better leader. And I can communicate that to my peers, which by default would make me a leader in my environment. So that promotion actually wasn't something that I asked for. It was something that I inherited because the team was looking at me as a leader, but I never had that title. People see me as a leader, but because I don't have that title, maybe it's time for me to to just talk about that. And it just happened. You know, I was handing the reins and I work with a really great leader. Um, but even then, like I, I went from having, you know, you have this lifestyle in high school to working. All of a sudden you're working a regular 60 hour week because you're working operations. You have to cover some of the days, some of the nights. So you have personalities in the mornings who are more settled or established, have their families. And then you have the younger crew in the afternoons and you have so many different personalities to deal with so many different histories so it, took a, it takes a lot out of you because you have to, I mean, you have to be human, yes, yep. but you have to know that your body language is so important when you're leading others. They don't really have to care what you've been through. They just know that when they need an answer or any direction, they're going to look to you for that. That's right.
0: One of the things about you as a, as a leader, and you talked about this, staying focused, leading by example uh, is really powerful. And then as we talked further, you
1: ended up wanting to own a Chick-fil-A how did that process go? Yeah, so it didn't go as well as I planned because you know, my plan was to go to college like most people, like my peers. Everybody was going to Carolinas, to Dukes. I mean, it was like the best performing class, even to date, that for graduation. But I didn't get that. I didn't have that option. I had to choose career or family, and I chose family. And I think to th- today that's one of the values that I hold on to. It's important. It keeps you grounded. It keeps you focus on what's what matters in life, but I still wanted to win. So what I wanted, what I did is I worked any shift that they needed me to work in. I worked in the marketing side for the company, even though I didn't really know much about it. I did hiring, firing. I helped with interviews. I held sessions. I did whatever it took. However, once I got to the point that I said, okay, I'm ready to make this jump. The feedback that I got is, Hey, the competition that you're going up against almost everybody at that point, has a degree. Historically, in Chick Fil A, there are some people that were able to get to ownership because the brand was still new, so they needed those people that were grooming that culture and can can build that brand onward. But in my case, it was a different world was changing, and so at that point, after I got I, I got married through that that journey, that phase of life, and I decided to pick up my education. So while I was working those years. I would say that I did I try to go to school at least one class per every other semester, mainly because I knew that I was good enough. But the problem is when you stop schooling and you go back to school, everything is different, whether it's one, two, three years. And so my plan was to okay, let me earn this degree, go back to Chick-fil-A and say, all right, this is what I have now. This is what I want to do. Let's do it. But everything that I have built. All the relationship, all the branding, all the relationship with the customers, with the business leaders around the area. I had to literally start over in Raleigh, which was a lot more difficult when I had to split my mind into being in the business, being a family man, being a college student and dealing with that, all those changes in life and being a new husband. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that was hard. You had a lot on your, on your plate. And so just to be clear, you were working full
0: time while you were going to school full time? Yes. Uh, I mean, that's just like, I want to stop right there for a minute and just like, that's just commendable, but not surprising, right? Based on what you've been able to accomplish. It just lets people know that when you put your mind to something, being a little bit tired temporarily is okay when you're chasing a goal and a set of dreams that mean a lot to you. And that's really, really powerful. And you didn't just go to college, right? Tell me some of the degrees you got. Tell me some of the honors you got while in school, like you crushed it out. Oh yeah. So
1: uh for me, I, I understood that when you're a degree, like I wasn't going to get financial aid because it, that I didn't qualify for that. So every single set that I was putting to school, I wanted to get an ROI from it. So when I went to college or back to school, I used to say, I had, technically I earned a life the MBA first, and then I went back to get the theory, <laughs> right? So I went and I chased the things that I did not know well, but I wanted to know more about. My degree wasn't finance, uh, information technology, and then I had a minor in accounting and data analytics honors program, which was the first undergraduate honors analytics program in the country at the time, and which was really exciting. I was like, okay, let's solve problems, right? <laughs> and you have to incorporate all these different things, case studies, different angles, and see how you can come up with this plausible solution that not only makes sense, but it's actionable and that company can run with once you leave. So to me, that was the most exciting thing I got in. Um, but yeah, so I took on it all. I, I didn't waste my time. <laughs> <laughs> That's
0: right. That is awesome. Now, one of the ways that we got to know each other is uh, you're an intern at a small technology or uh, marketing company, excuse me, that I invested in a few years ago that is now Walk West. How did that happen? Like, how
1: did you how did you get connected with Walk West? Yeah, it's actually a really interesting story. So. As I was learning the new college life, you were told or you were instructed to find an internship. The more internships, the more exposures you get, the higher chance of you landing a better job once you graduate. But when you're working full-time and going to school full-time, it's kind of hard to do that. But yet, I still was able to get involved with clubs and start networking and so on and so forth. But I feel like I just didn't have an in for some reason. One day when I was working in the afternoon at Chick-fil-A, Jennifer Hoverstad who I believe was also one of the key first members at, at that time called O3, now Walk West. She had just transitioned out of that comp- out of Chick-fil-A to something else. And I was like, hey, Jennifer, how are you? Hey, look, guys, this is my junior year. I'm looking for opportunity. I like numbers. I like, I'm really good with people. I can solve problems. I heard you move something. Can we talk later? And she's like, oh, yeah, I think we're looking for an intern. Let's talk. So I kid you not, that 30-second conversation let me to land at O3 and meet you. That's awesome. I mean, I I think it's, uh, it's just phenomenal
0: just how the small threads of life given mean so much. But you were really prepared for your opportunities. And one of the things I wanted to ask you, when you think about your journey and being from Peru, being Latina, what are some of the things that were a little bit more challenging for you, that were different, that were difficult, not being, you know, not being, looking, talking like everybody else?
1: Hmm. Well, I think the first thing we got to talk about is the culture differences. What's acceptable, I guess, me growing up in a third world country versus what's acceptable in the US, first world country. And then you have the different generations. So you have, you know, I'm a, gen, well, a millennial, how we think or how we were going to think, because there's definitely a range. But definitely some of the changes that, challenges that I face is some of the simple stuff like being confident. Understanding the lingo and the slang, whether you're talking in your peers, a, at work, in school, in a professional setting, what those lingos were. How do those things mix? What do you say? What do you not say? Because me being Latino, being from Peru, we're very, I guess, outspoken. You can be very social. be very trusting. In some spaces, that may be looked as a weakness or a strength, depending on how you leverage that. You know, and now in a business world that I'm in, I feel like all those experiences combined have allowed me to navigate to those relationships and scenarios and really read situations better. And when you don't have that exposure growing up, you have to literally self-teach yourself and you fail a lot. Like you're going to upset people or, you know, if you have someone a different culture, you don't do your research ahead of time. You may offend them by saying something or saying something that's natural to you as a joke, but to them it's offensive. So those things were key. And I think the topic that we're talking about today on diversity and inclusion has to do with that and just being aware and sensitive that others communicate differently. That's very, very powerful. I think a lot
0: of times when you're learning something new, you want to have all the answers. And in my opinion, diversity and inclusion is about being open to the different views and experiences of others and not letting your experience creating a judgmental tone. And then we can all learn together as we go. But if we have that right tone, that right openness, it's been amazing how easy it is to get along with people of all different backgrounds, ages, colors, ethnicities. And, and I feel that come across in the way that you look at things. Peruvians in tech, you started a group. Tell me about that, what is that? Tell me about this group, what led you to
1: start that? Yeah, so uh, well, I found the problem. The problem was it didn't exist. And it didn't exist because I was being very drawn to innovation and disruption. Why? Well, because I just like breaking and fixing things and making them better. And so I was seeing those different, this Latino professional groups or or so on and so forth. But I didn't see something specific to Peruvian. And why I did that? And by the way, still growing. I it's hard to grow something when you have another commitment. But I'm, I'm still planning on on developing and creating a platform where I can connect folks that don't know certain technologies or they need to move into a different industry. And that's my vision for it. But the whole idea happened because I saw a story of a gentleman, of a guy who was actually from Peru, who made it through Stanford on scholarships and was this guru at Google. And I was like, okay, so you can be successful. But if if you don't go through all that, like, how, how do we help other people? How do we help the ones that come afterwards? How do we create a legacy? How do we create a network? Because without that, intelligence can only get you so far. And networking is one of those skills that you need in business to succeed. And so I felt like just for me starting it, there's going to be a a point where someone's going to find it or I'm going to connect them with it and I'm going to be able to help them. And who knows what the mission is going to lead me to, such as you and I, right? We connected. We didn't, I mean, who knows? Two, three years ago, we were going to be here speaking, right? And we're talking about a big topic. So for me, that's that's why I created it. I saw a need in the market. Yes, it's a networking group. And it's actually, funny, oddly enough, as soon as I created it, I got an email um a reach out from some recruiters asking, hey, when can we get in? When can we get in? And I was thinking, this is a time that I need to say no and, and really focus on. This is not about getting people jobs, this is about connecting people and eventually and, and educating them so that they can pivot where they want. I don't I don't want vultures in my group because I can find them anywhere. That's right. So, I want a quality individual, so. No, that's awesome. That's a great answer and powerful. Why should businesses look
0: at non-traditional prospects, people from diverse backgrounds? Like what's the business reason that a CEO, a leader, a manager
1: should want to build a diverse team? That's a great question. In my opinion, a leader should look into diversity of skill set and backgrounds, not just because it sounds good or because it sells or because you, could, you can generate more leads, but mainly to challenge what you think or the orthodox way of doing business is. A lot of times you hear the expression, if it ain't broke, don't fix it. Yes, until you get something completely out of left field that disrupts an industry, such as I was actually reading a book an audiobook called "The Fourth Industrial Revolution," and it just it goes on and, and talks about different ways that industries were disrupted. One section talked about Netflix coming into the play and disrupting the way streaming media comes in. But it, that's the what happened, right? But if you think about, it, it was an entrepreneurial mind who challenged the norm, who wanted to think differently, and got on board with people that thought like them while well, at least wanted to challenge an idea. And I think from a business perspective, you got to take that particular guess, business case and scale it out to what it means to you or find people that you that are not they have strengths that you don't have or see things that you don't have but don't just stop at that one person build that out allow that person to grow and challenge that person to be diverse in their own way challenge them to overcome any uh, fads that they've grown up with or, or things that they're scared about or even with a gender neutrality all those kind of topics because that Discomfort is going to yield a result, and that result is going to yield more ideas. Ideas can lead to new uh, concepts, and those concepts become uh, revenue-generating. And so, to me, that's the value, but you have to see that long-term. The initial reel would be, okay, you have that perspective, yes, but I think it's a mix, honestly, because you got to have skill, and you also have to have that diverse perspective. No, that's super powerful. And one of the things
0: that you said that I just want to repeat for our listeners is diversity is also about diversity of thought, diversity of background, diversity of perspective. The easy answers are you're Hispanic, right? I'm African-American. That's easy. But we also have different flavors to us as individuals, different things that we think about. But then one of the things I found is most people are open to the concept of diversity, but they just want to know how to think and do better. And the more that we create those diverse environments at work, the more that we can really chase that big idea together for our company, for our firm, for ourselves. And so I really like the feedback that you gave there. If somebody was going to take a diversity course training, what would you want them to learn? What are some of the big things you'd want them to take away as they went on their journey to really understand both diversity and inclusion in their own way?
1: Well, I think if you're going to have a course on it, it's great to get that theory, that concept, but it doesn't matter until you act on it, until you literally put yourself or at least challenge yourself. Okay, once a day, I'm going to talk to a random person in a weird spot. Like I'm going to grab food. I'm going to talk to a police officer. I want to get their perspective. I want to talk to, if you meet, if you go to politics and you have somebody that's an opposing mindset, okay, let's talk about that. Or, hey, I see a, a kid in high school or he's getting food or something or in the library or getting gas. You know, say, hey, you know, just say, say hi, get uncomfortable, whatever. But try to make a connection. And once you build that connection, what was your takeaway? Like, if you didn't take that chance or that step to engage, what would be different for you today? Because I think, oh, theory is great. But if you don't act on it, then what did you actually do? You know, what was your, you know, what did you get away from it? Yes. I get, Oh, it okay, sounds good on paper. Let me take a note. Diversity is, is a great idea or diversity allows me to meet more people. Meeting people is not being diverse. Connecting with people allows you to get in, inclusion and diversity in thought.
0: Oh, that's really powerful. I mean, like I'm an action oriented person just like you are. And, and that makes a lot of sense. Right. It's one thing to understand the theory. But to use your words, right, your your amazing ideas don't matter until you take action. And that's a powerful takeaway. And one of the things with any type of education that has meaning is when you incorporate what you learn in your everyday life. That's just a great, great comment. So, Carlos, one, it's been amazing to talk with you and catch up, and and I appreciate your thoughts. What things would you like to leave us with? Like what question that I didn't ask on the diversity inclusion topic that you'd like to share as we look at building out our course, as we look at doing more teaching and training, uh, what perspective would you like to leave us with?
1: Hmm. Don't be afraid to take a chance. I think action is great, but you also have to get take the chance. And the reason why, I mean, you didn't really talk about um, the chances to take afterwards, but I think the action piece is so, I mean, it sounds easy, but it's really difficult. And I think whoever's taking this class needs to be in the mindset that this is not an easy process. It takes time and it takes time to get to know yourself, how you are going to engage in those situations, both professionally, socially, within your family, because you can make a step forward and that's that's great. But then getting other people around you in your circles, diversifying your circles, that creates a ripple effect that's going to really drive change across any market, any business. I mean, that's pretty powerful, diversifying your circles
0: to have that ripple effect. And that's the responsibility for those of us that are proponents of diversity inclusion, want to be good examples. It's getting out of that comfort zone and continuing to get to know people and connect with people that are different than you. Now, you moved from team member at Chick-fil-A, store manager at Chick-fil-A, rock star, academic titan at NC State University. And what are you doing now? Tell me a little bit about your career right now and the company that you work for.
1: Sure. So my career right now is in the consulting space. So I work for one of the big four companies in professional services, Deloitte Consulting. What I do on a day-to-day basis is solve problems for clients or project teams. I work on projects that deal with implementing large-scale enterprise systems or uh, strategy projects are telling the current state of a current business and where they want to go, creating a roadmap, deal with change management within the team. So a lot of different things. And I'm kind of blessed to be in this in this spot because I know many, there's so many people like me in my current office. I've been in a projects where I was the second Latino in the entire company. And now I'm like contracted because technically I'm a, I'm a consultant. So, I mean, for me, it's really interesting because I'm being valued not by what, how I look at, but what, how I think and what solutions I can yield to the, to the client. Not just any solution, not just saying, oh, this is a logical one, but it maybe it's defending that argument. How did I get to that point? And what are the risks and assumptions that I took to get there? And here's what I think would happen next should you move forward. And if you don't, here are the other alternatives. So being exposed to those concepts and those methodologies And shape an idea and being able to take different cases, business problems, different clients, and be able to logically think. Because there's times where we go into projects or I go into projects and I'm not exactly sure what the answer is going to be. And I think that makes it interesting because that's the value, right? The people, the minds, that's what the value is. And I, I really enjoy working with my clients and helping project teams be successful using the right technologies to deliver quality. Because if you can't deliver quality work, then guess what? They're not going to come back and ask for more. So I think that piece is really, really important. And so I'm really fortunate to be in the situation that I am right now. Well, congratulations on your career success.
0: Congratulations on the powerful story that helped you build that foundation. Uh, I'm super happy that your family is doing amazing. And uh, I really appreciate you taking some time and just connecting with us on this very big topic. And, And wish you absolutely nothing but the best,
1: my friend. Thanks, E.T. Appreciate
0: it. It's been a pleasure catching up with Carlos today. And here's just a quick recap of some of the amazing points that I want to emphasize. The cultural differences were the toughest for him, so he wasn't sure how to act in certain situations. What that means to me as a CEO is learning to ask questions of my team in scenarios, Making sure that you use multiple examples and insights of people in the room so that you're not assuming based on your perspective that everyone understands. Taking a class on diversity and inclusion is fine, but you need to make sure that you implement what you've learned. How do you take action to make sure that there's full space in meetings for people to talk through ideas from a different perspective and simply ask, does anyone else have anything to add before we close this meeting? Simply ask, Joanne, you were real quiet today. Is there something you'd like to share before we close this meeting? Make sure that inclusivity is not a buzzword. It's something that we put into our everyday life. Take time to get to know about your team. Not just what they do and the capabilities they have, but how they view the company and the world. By understanding things through other people's lens, you naturally become more other-centered. And as an other-centered leader, you can attract more talented people to be on your team. Thanks for tuning in, everyone. As I mentioned at the top of the show, sign up at thediversitymovement.com to get updates on our upcoming diversity inclusion course, Diversity Beyond the Checkbox, which features excerpts from this podcast and others. If you like this show, be sure to subscribe on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. Leave a rating and a review, and more importantly, tell a friend. This show was edited and produced by EarFluence. If you're looking for information on full-service podcast production, head over to EarFluence.com. Thank you for listening, and we see you next time on Diversity Beyond the Checkbox.